0: This evening, I want to take a look behind the scenes of Christmas. I think a lot of times we get so caught up in the things that we can see in front of our own eyes that we miss what's actually happening behind the scenes. So let's start with Christmas. Then, what what we see as we look at Christmas? Then it's the classic Luke chapter two, right? You've got Joseph, who's betrothed to Mary, who is pregnant, and they travel the sixty to hundred mile journey from Nazareth the hometown, to Bethlehem, the place where Joseph's family is from, because it's time for this census that's happening, and you've got to go to the family city, which for Joseph is Bethlehem. And so they take this 60 to 100 mile journey, they get to Bethlehem, and because so many people are flooding the city because it's a celebration and the census is happening, that there's no place for them to stay. So they end up staying in in, in a manger, and they have the baby, and baby Jesus is laid in the manger, and this event that creation has been waiting for, starving for, yearning for, is witnessed by only two people, Mary and Joseph, the only ones there to welcome baby Jesus into the world. It's common, it's quiet, it's unobserved by anybody else. But that's from an earthly perspective. What about from a heavenly perspective, a, a kingdom of God perspective? What was actually happening behind the scenes? If we take a peek behind the curtain, what do we see? We see a, a small glimpse of it from the, the view of the angels that appeared to the shepherds in the fields nearby. Right? They, they were in their fields just tending their flocks by night. And one angel out of nowhere appears, think of it, total darkness. And then this huge, enormous floodlight shines down on the shepherds, and this angel announces, "Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this born is day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." And as soon as that angel makes his announcement, he's he's joined by this army of angels. All of the heavenly hosts surround this angel, and they join in song, and they sing, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace on good will on whom His favor rests." The angels could see the heavenly perspective of Christmas. In this moment, the angels themselves had more anticipation, more excitement than all of Israel put together. They were just waiting. Waiting for the moment. Knowing that it was soon. Just that building anticipation, the plan that God had promised from Genesis chapter 3 was about to unfold. They were boiling over with excitement and God said, now's the time. Go tell the shepherds. And they just radiate God's glory and God's joy all on that field that night. And we know that the the shepherds were so overwhelmed that they had to go see the sight that they had been told. And they see the baby just as they were told that they would find him. And in joy, they go out and they tell everybody that they see. There's a pattern that starts to form. We see it in our psalm tonight that we sing of God's glory and then we tell of his story. Let's dig deeper into that because our psalm gives us a really in-depth view of the birth of Jesus Christ from the kingdom of God perspective, from a heavenly perspective. It starts with sing. Right off at the very beginning, verse 1 says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Now a new song suggests something fresh and real. It catches the ear and it resonates deep in your heart. We're told about this new song in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, We hear about this in in Revelation 5. They sang a new song to the the lamb that was on the throne, to Jesus. They said, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And in Revelation 14, it says, they were singing a new song before the throne of God, before the four living creatures, before the elders. This new song. And the psalm tonight says that all the earth sings this song. And in Hebrew, when it says all the earth, it's not just talking about all the people around all the earth. It's talking about the very earth itself. Kind of picture the the earth spinning in space along the equator. If it it could, it would just open its mouth and declare the praises of God. It would be amazing to see all of the people of God and all of God's creation singing this new song of joy and anticipation. Many of you know that I love C.S. Lewis. I love his books. And and he gives this amazing picture and gives voice to the animals, all of the animals of Narnia. And they have this voice to sing and praise. And and Tolkien writes about in the Lord, Lord of the Rings that the trees themselves come alive and speak what on earth would it sound like to hear earth sing hallelujah to god i have no idea i can't even imagine what that would be but i can guarantee you it would give goosebumps to everybody who heard it The psalmist continues, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. His salvation, this whole story of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. Redemption, restoration, his salvation going on over and over again, never ending. I think it's a really good reminder, especially on a night like tonight when we gather together and we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, which is such an amazing, amazing event. But it's just one chapter in the story. It's just one chapter in his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his promised return back to earth. This whole story of Jesus Christ, it begins tonight. But it's just the prologue of the amazing story that's being written today. It's a daily activity, the psalmist writes, that we worship God with this song every single day. It's a part of our lifestyle. And it describes our, our, our worship, that worship to Christ is not just something that we do on Sunday mornings, or maybe a couple Sundays a month, or maybe two times a year, but it's something that, that erupts from our soul, from our heart, from our gut, that we can't stop singing the praises of Christ. And this new song declares his marvelous works among all the people's. God's marvelous works, again, is the entire story of the Bible. As John wrote in his gospel, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. He is greatly to be praised, he says. To be praised greatly, I, I imagine this worship that's full of sincerity, full of frequency, full of focus and intent. Heavens and those with whom the kingdom of God perspective of Christmas see the birth of Jesus as the long-awaited gift that sparks God's plan to rescue the world. It's what the world has been waiting for, like I said, from Genesis chapter 3, and it's here. Tonight is the night that we remember that, that the plan was set in motion, that the earth will see the face of God. They will hear his cry, and the glory of heaven will be born in flesh tonight. And then splendor and majesty are before him. When I hear splendor and majesty, I picture just pure extravagance. I think of of something being even more amazing than usual. I've had the joy of visiting our nation's capital several times, and I'm just constantly blown away by the the majesty of the monuments, the, the integrity and structure of the words on the documents there. The solemn honor of places like Arlington, it's amazing, it's majestic, but I saw it one year in splendor. I had the privilege of, of being there when all of the cherry trees were blooming, and everything that was amazing already was adorned in majesty and splendor, fit for any king, beautiful, the psalmist says that strength and beauty are God's sanctuary, the place where he dwells, his, his place with us is strength and beauty. Those two words don't always go together, but, but when they do, they're just amazingly powerful and gorgeous images. I, I picture like a massive Bengal tiger or a huge African lion or a, a Spanish stallion that you can just see the muscles rippling and the movement is just beautiful. This is God, his sanctuary of strength and beauty. But God loves to do things in reverse, right? I'm reminded that as God is concerned, strength is found in weakness. Beauty is found in brokenness. Wisdom is found in foolishness. God loves these great reversals. And our our human eyes don't always see God's strength and beauty for what it truly is. But we see a baby in the straw. God sees his beloved son on a compassionate mission to restore his beloved creation. We're to sing of his glory, and then we're to tell of his story. The psalm then moves into its climax and says, the Lord reigns. It announces God's advent, the day of the Lord. It carries the irrepressible excitement of the promise of God's coming. It says, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exalt and everything in it. Nature joins in our worship of God. Heaven and earth, sea and fields. This is the top and the bottom from one end to the other, singing for joy. And we're not to let creation be the only voices that praise God. In the Great Commission, we're given this command to go and tell. And it's almost instinctive, right? Because when you hear or experience or encounter something that is so amazing, so glorious, you can't help but tell other people all about it. That was the view of Christmas from a heavenly perspective. Well, that was all then. But what about the here and now? The Christmas that we see just on the surface level on the here and now Maybe you see a world that's filled with anger or war or violence, natural disasters, disease, viruses, loss, grief, and death. Well, how on earth could a baby born 2,000 years ago, if he was even real, with parents who came from a nowhereville city born in a feeding trough, make any difference in our hurting world today? And just look at his followers. The hypocrites, the sinful, giving lip service to God, but not really living like him, fighting with the world, fighting with themselves, waging wars throughout history in the name of grace? Love? Really? Or maybe we see a consumer Christmas with shopping malls, porches filled with Amazon boxes, advertisements with new cars with big red bows buy, buy, buy. Some people have the love language of gifts, the giving and getting, but that can get really expensive. But I can promise you the cost is more than just dollars. With all the advertising, buying, getting, not getting the right thing or in the wrong size or not the right color, the heavenly view of Christmas can get lost. It can be like that small but very significant priceless gift that gets lost among the multitude of shredded wrapping paper and empty boxes, to discard it in exchange for all of the really exciting air pods or air fryers or air travel tickets. See, all these earthly distractions get in the way of our heavenly view of Christmas and pull our attention away from what's really important. All our stuff, our, our gifts, our lights, our traditions, if they're not pointing to Jesus, they're pulling our attention away from what's really the focus of this night. Now, of course, gifts and lights and traditions can all point to Jesus. Like the gifts, we can remember the gifts of the wise men. The lights, we can remember the stars, the angels in the sky, Jesus himself being the light of the world. But when these lights, gifts, and traditions become the focus, they become idols. See, the gods of our age are too many to count. The human heart is an idol-making factory. And the psalm reminds us tonight that all the gods of all the peoples are worthless idols. They're worthless because they can't stand up to the demands, the needs of humanity. They're like an addiction that promises the world but gives nothing and takes everything. Our psalm this evening reminds us that we need something more. The very beginning of the psalm is nature being called to tell the human race about the glory of God. Nature, get that, nature's telling us that we need to worship God. Why? Because the human race worships, but it doesn't naturally worship God. It worships idols. I can guarantee you that everybody in this room is living for something. You're making something your purpose in life. And whatever that is, that's your God, whether it be financial security, relationships, social media, the thing that you spend time with, that you think about, that you can't live without, if it's not God, then it's an idol. Or maybe your view of Christmas tonight is something maybe a little bit better. Maybe you see Christmas as a momentary, ideal escape for a brief season in a year. It's a season where we pause, when we enjoy family, peace, and joy, we take extra time to donate to food banks, to toy drives, to visit the elderly in the nursing home, to look for ways to intentionally love our neighbors. We show extra patience, grace, and forgiveness. We let the spirit of Christmas give us pause from our chaotic life and let the joy of the season, well, let us be more like the people we should be all year long, right? Who are we fooling? As if the hungry are only hungry during December. Or if the the elderly in nursing homes are only lonely during the end of December. Or if the command from Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves was not just for a short season, but every day. You see, all of these views of Christmas from an earthly perspective are broken. My challenge to you tonight is to view Christmas this year from a heavenly perspective, to see it with fresh eyes. We're invited to see Christmas from the perspective of a citizen of the kingdom of God. God initially brings this message not through the powerful nations of the time, not through the Egyptians or the Romans or the, the Assyrians or the Babylonians, but through the Jews, this small, tiny nation that was rarely in control of their destiny. Is it just because God loves underdogs? Not really. He's letting us know something about salvation itself. You see, every other religion in the world will tell you that moral philosophy or your own strength or your own goodness or your own ability to do good is what truly matters. Only the gospel of Christ does the reversal. That says Jesus says, I've come for the weak, that I'm going to lose all my power on the cross to die and save the world. He did this, that that if we believe, we could be put back into a right relationship with the Father. So when he comes as king the second time, he can and will end all evil. So his weakness is really his strength. And here we find his true strength and beauty when Jesus looks at every one of us and says, I know where you've been, I know what you've done. I can promise you, you haven't gone too far for me to keep loving you. There's nothing you've done that will make me love you any less. In fact, I've come especially for people like you. My heart, my compassion is for those who are broken. I didn't come for the righteous. They don't need me. I came for the hurting, for the broken, for the lost, for the lonely for the guilty, for the shameful. I came for you. You see, if you repent and you come back to Jesus, not only will God accept you, love you, and work in your life, he delights in working through people like you. He's been doing it all throughout the world's history. See, if we take the the approach of viewing Jesus' birth from a heavenly perspective, then there's far more going on than what meets the eye. If we look behind the scenes, we see what God is at work doing in our own lives, that heaven rejoices over the sinner who repents, that glory is given to God whenever anyone sees the bigger picture of the birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promised return of Jesus, that our King is here now and is coming again, that my current struggles, trials, difficulties are just on the surface, they're just temporary, they won't last forever. The splendor, majesty, strength, and beauty of God is eternal. The grandeur of royalty to the infinite degree. The announcement to the world, my king reigns. The whole creation joins this song. Heaven, earth, sea, fields, everything in it. The excitement of, of this idea of encountering someone so great, so powerful. The joy is contagious and it can't be contained. And it really means to sing it out. That we sing of his glory. This idea of singing isn't just metaphorical. But when you sing about something, you're thinking about it. You're feeling it. Your mind, your body, your soul are all connected and united in that act. As we sing our final songs tonight, I want you to know that. To belt it out. Even if you can't sing well at all, I don't care. We'll turn the volume up on the band so we don't hear you. But sing. There's something majestic that happens when you sing. St. Augustine had this view that, that, that there's something unexplainable. That when you sing, something happens inside you. St. Augustine said, I perceive that our minds are more devoutly and earnestly elevated into a flame by the holy words themselves when they are sung than when they are not. The words become a part of you. And not just that you sing of his glory, but you tell of his story. We really want to develop a story-sharing culture here at St. Luke's. That we share the story of the gospel, yes. But we also share the story of the gospel of God working in each of our individual unique lives. What he is at work in your life doing. That we are to share that. To share it with our families. To share it with our friends. And sometimes our families and friends are already Christian. It's good to still share that story. Because we need the encouragement. We need the hope but it's also important to share this story with those around us who don't know Christ yet, who just see perhaps Christmas on the superficial side. Maybe this year is the year for you to pull the curtain back to show them the glory, the majesty, the splendor of our newborn King. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we praise you so much for the birth, the birth of Jesus, our Savior, our King, Help us see this not just from an earthly perspective, not be limited by our human eyes, but open up the, the, our hearts, open up our spirits to see and know the pure joy and glory that we celebrate today. We praise this in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen.